Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. We're glad you can join us as Pastor Dane Skelton shares a weekly message to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Here's Pastor Dane. If you would like to, you could turn in your Bibles this morning to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 7, 2 Samuel chapter 7. I want to talk about the prayer that God answers today, and we'll look into the passage in just a minute. But I was thinking about this this week and how it might connect to all of us. And by the way, just sitting over here hearing the whole church sing, I I, I stayed quiet for a whole verse. Hearing the whole church sing is awesome. It's just great having everybody in here and singing out loud, and it's wonderful. But I was trying to think, okay, how would... How would FCC, how would the, my friends listening today really connect with this passage? So I'll ask you to think about some answers to prayers that you have had. And I'll illustrate it by talking about some of the answers that I've had. And probably two of the greatest answers to my, some of my uh, deepest, most passionately prayed prayers and longest prayed prayers come in the most inconspicuous ways, or have come in the most inconspicuous ways. So I'll give you an example of two of them. On a weekend in the summer of 2009, I walked into my house and glanced into the den to see my middle daughter, who was 18 years old and on her way to college, watching a golf game on TV. Nothing strange about that at our house at all. We often nap through golf games. And... Um, but what was, what the answer prayer was, she had her hand stuck in a big old box of Cheerios and was just unconsciously eating Cheerios. Now, some of you know the background to that, and I'll, I'll get back to that when, when we conclude. But it's, that looks like nothing out of the ordinary, Right. I mean, it's just the most completely ordinary thing in the world to be sitting there watching a golf game, munching on a box of cereal. In the summer of 2019, I was in Georgia visiting my friend, and I sat down to dinner with with two men, a friend I've known for over 40 years, and then a friend of his, who is a more recent acquaintance of mine, that that he had known My friend's friend, he had known this guy for something like 20, 25 years. So my friend, the guy that I've known for over 40 years, is still not a follower of Christ. I've been praying for him since 1980. But he respects my faith and he knows that I like to give thanks before a meal. And so he, you know, I said, guys, can we pray? And he said, sure. And then, so I asked his friend, this man's name is Mark. And I I knew that Mark had a faith. And so I asked him to pray and give thanks before the meal. And he said, love to. And that guy prayed. And it was one of the most powerful answers to prayer I have ever, to, to my prayer, I have ever seen in my life. And I'll tell you how it ended later. (laughs) Now, many of you know the backstories to those prayers, but I want to spend the next few minutes 
strengthening your confidence in prayer. Those were two prayers that I saw God answer in a major, major way. And I hope that you can remember how God has answered your prayers in a major, major way. I hope you write them down so that you can remember them. But as a church, FCC is headed into a time of discernment and transition. Specific needs will arise that we cannot anticipate and we need to be praying and we need to be watching for God's answers to those prayers. And then as individuals, we have many needs, many demands, many responsibilities that draw on our deepest spiritual reserves. And so what I want to do this morning is strengthen your confidence in a God who answers prayer. That's really all I'm about this morning and helping us learn and remember how we go about praying. I also want to build some anticipation in you because prayer does not only move the hand of God. Prayer, biblically informed prayer, expands our souls. It makes us deeper, wiser, more confident spiritual people and followers of Christ. So we're beginning here with King David, one of the most prolific authors of prayers in the whole Bible. I don't know how many prayers David wrote, if you count the Psalms and the ones that he prayed as king, but there's a lot of them, and he knows a lot about prayer. So we're looking in 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning in verse 18 and going down to verse 29. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O sovereign Lord, and what is my family, that you have brought me this far? And if you know a little bit of the context of this, you would see that God has established David in the kingdom. David's built himself a house and he's even started talking to the prophet Nathan and said, look, I've got this big cedar house and God's ark is still in a tent. I think I want to build a house for God. And the short version of it is God tells Nathan, no, he's not the guy. <laughs> and so, but I am making a promise to him that, and if you look up in verse 16 of chapter 7, this is the gist of the promise your house and your kingdom, God says, will endure forever before me and your throne will be established forever. So David is now praying in response to what God has said to him. Who am I, O sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if, as if this were not enough in your sight, O sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. One other thing you want to look at uh, look for as we go through this passage together and mark it down how many times God is the one who has acted. How many times David identifies the things that God has acted, God has done for him. And here's one of them. O sovereign Lord, you have spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And I love this. Is this your usual way of dealing with man, O sovereign Lord? What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, o, Lord, o sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are, O sovereign Lord. There is no one like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth, that God went out to redeem? There's another one. 
as a people for himself and to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out the nations and their gods from before your people, whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people Israel as your very own forever, and you, O Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised, so that your name will be great forever. Then men will say, The Lord Almighty is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. O Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your, so your servant has found courage to offer this prayer. O sovereign Lord, you are God. Your words are trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, O sovereign Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing the house of your servant will be blessed forever." Every prayer, this is the prayer of a successful man. This is the prayer of a successful man. And every prayer in the Bible is a prayer that you or I can learn from. It's a prayer that we can model our prayers on. And that's a good thing to do. I hope that you use the prayers in the Bible as models for your prayers, outlines for you to build your own prayers on. But this, is one, this one is especially good because it's modeling a prayer that David knows God is going to answer because God has told him already, I'm going to answer this. It's a prayer that God answers with a majestic yes that runs all the way down through the kingdom of Christ because basically what God has done is he's promised David, your throne will be established forever and it has been established forever with the greater son of David who is Jesus. I've broken this prayer down. I'm channeling my inner Baptist today, so I've broken it down into three R's. Number one, God's, uh, this is a prayer that resonates with humility. So that's the first R, it resonates with humility. Verses 18 and 19, who am I and what is my family? So let's think about David at this point. David is the undisputed king of Israel. It's taken him a long time to get there, over 10 years, probably longer from the day that Samuel anointed him and told him he would be king. But now he has the full support of the nation. So he's the, he's the, the ruler of the nation. Second, he is a masterful battlefield strategist and uh, combat leader. He's had victory in hundreds of conflicts over the years. Third, he is a statesman strategist who has successfully negotiated treaties with powerful forces on his borders. We learned earlier in the text that he's negotiated a treaty with the Phoenicians, for example. And don't forget, he's the guy who dropped Goliath with one rock. So David is uber successful. He's a very successful man, but he hasn't let it go to his head. If, you, if I were to paraphrase what he's saying to God here in this moment, God, let's not kid ourselves. I am a nobody from nowhere with no pedigree whatsoever, and yet you have made me king over all of Israel and given me all of this success. His prayer resonates with humility. Contrast that 
with what our culture is like, even in the Christian world today. Somebody wrote a New York Times article a couple of years ago and said, humility may be the exact opposite of what it used to be. Humility ain't what it used to be. Lately, she says, it's pro forma. That just means it's just a it's just a form that we all follow because it's expected. It's pro forma, even mandatory for politicians, athletes, celebrities, and other public figures to be vocally and vigorously humbled by every honor awarded. Every prize won, every job offered, every record broken, every pound lost, every shout out received, every like copped, and every thumbed upped. Diving at random into the internet and social media finds this new humility everywhere. A soap opera actress on tour is humbled by the outpouring of love from fans. Comedians are humbled by big laughs. Yoga practitioners are humbled by achieving difficult poses. Athletes are humbled by good days on the field. Christmas volunteers are humbled by their own generosity and holiday spirit. And yet, none of these people sound very humbled at all. On the contrary, they all seem exceedingly proud of themselves, hashtagging their humility to advertise their own status, success, sprightliness, generosity, moral superiority, and luck. When did humility get so cocky and vainglorious? So even humility is abused in our culture. The key attitude of a praying man or woman, no matter what kind of success he or she has had in life, is real humility. Let's look at real humility. Jesus talks about this in Luke chapter 8, 18, rather, verses 11 and following. This is a well-known story, but I want to read it out loud just as a reminder for all of us. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Imagine putting that on Facebook. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Here's Jesus' verdict on this. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, the tax collector, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And who humbles, he who humbles himself will be exalted. David humbled himself in this prayer. He said, God, I've got all this success and I know where it came from and it wasn't me. So let's, let's talk for a minute about a, a definition of humility. What it is and what it is not. Humility is not that wormy feeling you get in the bottom of your stomach when you realize that you wrote the membership renewal letter to the church and you put in the very bottom paragraph, bring your own picnic. 
and then you forgot to advert at the end of the service, and then you forgot to advertise it to the rest of the congregation, and then you forgot that you wrote it. And so you get to church the day of membership renewal Sunday, and you haven't brought a picnic, you haven't put it in the bulletin, you haven't done anything like that, and people are asking you, is there going to be a picnic? And you say no, because you genuinely forgot. And then somebody sends you a picture of that letter with, and I won't say who, but I love her to death. And with, that, with a picture of that sentence down there that says, you know, there was a bring your own picnic that was in the membership renewal letter. Humility is not that really ucky feeling you get in the pit of your stomach when stuff like that happens. That's not humility. That's just embarrassment. <laughs> humility. Humility is a sober understanding of what you are, what your capabilities are, and your competencies, and your limits, and your liabilities, without overestimating or underestimating any of them. Let me say that again. Humility is a sober understanding of who and what you are. Your capabilities and competencies, as well as your limits and your liabilities. Without overestimating your limits or liabilities, or your capabilities and competencies, or without underestimating any of them. Romans 12, 3. Think of yourself with sober judgment. Not more important than anybody, not better than anybody, but not less than anybody. Think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has given you. Primarily, it is the understanding of where your gifts came from in the first place. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, who makes you different from anybody else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why did you boast as though you did not? You know, there's no such thing as a self-made man. And there are an awful lot of men and women in America who think they are self-made men and women. There's no such thing. What do you have that you did not receive? You say, wait a minute, I worked hard to get where I am. Yes, you did, but you worked hard with intelligence and with built-in talents and competencies that were written into the software of your DNA and you had nothing to do with it. Humility is recognizing where our success comes from. Truly successful people know they didn't get there on their own. So they don't take all the credit for it. In fact, the best usually divert attention away from their successes and away from themselves. Uh, Coach Mike Tchaikovsky down at Duke University is known for this. And he talks to his players about the kind of men that he wants them to be and the kind of game that is Duke basketball. And everybody knows about the success of Duke basketball, but I've been watching college basketball for many, many years now because we have a college basketball fan in our house, and I like to watch with her because she gets so excited. But here's what's interesting. Several coaches around the country a couple of decades younger than Coach K, are now doing the same thing. And his influence is spreading throughout the NCAA. 
He doesn't take credit for it. He just does what he does. David had a sober estimate of who and what he was and was therefore able to recognize and honor the source of his success. So first, the prayer that God answers is a prayer that resonates with humility. Second, the prayer that God answers recognizes the character of God, recognizes the character of God. Again, in verse 19, as if this were not enough in your sight, O sovereign Lord. Now, I don't know if you happen to notice it, but O sovereign Lord repeats that, that name of God, that phrase that I, that I identify for God, David repeats that seven times in just these few verses. So we need to bear down on that a little bit. O Sovereign Lord is a specific name for God, and in the Hebrew it's like this, Adonai Yahweh. Adonai Yahweh. Adonai means sovereign. It means owner, ruler, or maker. Yahweh means creator, self-existing one. So Adonai Yahweh, he was before anything existed. He was. He creates everything that exists comes from him. He spoke the world. He spoke the universe into existence. He created, they used to say, ex nihilo, out of nothing he created. And therefore he owns all of it and he rules all of it. That is the name of God, owner, ruler. Adonai Yahweh. And David is recognizing that God is not just the God of the Hebrews or that he's not just the God of fire or flood or anything so limited as the created earth. He is the God of all creation and sovereign all over the whole universe. So only God knows precisely what happened at the moment of creation but physicists are getting a clearer picture and they understand that the universe continues to expand. Listen to this description written by a guy named Bill Bryson. In a single blinding pulse, a moment of glory much too swift and expansive for any form of words, the universe assumes heavenly dimensions, space beyond conception. In the first lively second, a second that many cosmologists will devote careers to shaving into ever finer wafers, is produced gravity and the other forces that govern physics. In less than a minute, the universe is a million billion miles across and growing fast. There's a lot of heat now, 10 billion degrees of it. Enough to begin the nuclear reactions that create the lighter elements, principally hydrogen and helium, with a dash of about one atom in a hundred million of lithium. In three minutes, in three minutes, 98% of all the matter there is or ever will be has been produced. We have a universe. It is a place of the most wondrous and gratifying possibility and beautiful too. And it was done in about the time it takes to make a sandwich. And it is still expanding. I want to take a commercial break here and recommend something to you. I uh, listened to a Breakpoint interview. Um, Actually, it was an interview with Shane Morris on a podcast called Upstream. And it's one of the Breakpoint families of podcasts. 
really good guy, Shane Morris. He's in his 30s, probably one of the most brilliant 30-some-odd guys I've heard yet on a podcast, and he's interviewing a scientist named Stephen C. Meyer. Stephen Meyer has um, published his a third book now, and it's called Return of the God Hypothesis. I just downloaded it, and I'm expecting great things based on the interview. It's fascinating, and that's why I went back to this illustration, because what he's saying is because the because of three things, the creation is continuing to expand because of the perfect balance in creation, what they call the Goldilocks uh, situation in our universe, and because of the design that's obviously built into it, scientists are being forced back to the idea that there was an intelligent designer of the universe. It was not just blind chance. So forget, um, forget those guys you see on TV who says it's all just random chance. And read this guy's book, read Meyer's book, or at the very least, listen to that podcast with Shane Morris. It's called Upstream. Now, thinking about all of that, when I was thinking about that this week, I had to think about it in much smaller terms. My wife is an artist. She's what C.S. Lewis calls a sub-creator. And she cannot speak things into existence, but she can make art out of anything, all the way down to toilet paper tubes. She makes plain old rocks into thoughtful gifts. She turns mud and heat and color into beautiful bowls and plates. She turns little bowls of water and blobs of color into gorgeous birds and flowers and barns and landscapes. And here's the thing. Whatever she makes, she owns. She's the owner-ruler of it. And some of these things she sells, but I'll tell you something, I've known her a long time. And what really makes her happy is just sharing it and giving it away. She does it because she's made like that, like her creator. God does these things because he loves it. Because he's a giver, because he creates. But it also means he owns it and he rules it. He is the sovereign Lord of all creation. He is God over all. And because of that, we are, and we're his children, and because of that, we have nothing to fear from him. He enjoys giving gifts to his children. I think that's a very difficult concept for some of us to believe. But he enjoys that. So remember who you're talking to when you pray. It's a very good idea to recite who he is from time to time. Recite his character. God doesn't need it, but we do. And he's honored by it. Nothing is too hard for God. No request is too difficult. No enemy is too strong. No task is beyond his ability. He has all might. He is the sovereign Lord. And David prays like this in a moment of peace and rest 
But he also prays like this. He calls him this same name when the bottom has fallen out. He always recognizes, if you go through the Psalms, you'll see him talking to God this way. And he always recognizes him as, you are the sovereign Lord. You are the almighty one. I have no doubt about that. Things look awful around me right now, Lord, but I have no doubt about who's in charge, who's in control. He's the sovereign Lord. So even when we are in distress, it is important to remember and to recite this back to him. To recognize his character. So first, David begins with humility. Then he recognizes the character of God. Third, and this is most important for us as we develop our prayer lives, he recites God's plan. He recites God's plan. Let me ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1, just really quick. Ephesians chapter 1. I don't think I gave this to um, Mark when he was setting up the slides. Look at Ephesians 1. 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. And let's just start in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, now watch how many times he talks about what God has done for us, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace. Grace which he has already given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. In accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment. We could go on and on and on, but my question for you is, when was the last time you started one of your prayers reciting all those things that God has done for you? I bet you don't. Start tomorrow. <laughs> Start that way tomorrow. See what it does to the way that you respond and communicate and connect with God in prayer. Because that's what David is doing. David is reciting back to God. He says, you've, you've laid out this whole plan and you've told me all. You, you had the audacity to tell me what God treats people like that. Is this how you treat everybody? This is how he treats all his beloved ones in Christ. We are the heirs of David in Christ. And as if this were not enough, you've spoken about the future of your servant. One of the most encouraging, faith-building things that we can do in prayer is to rehearse all the things God has done for us, all He has said about us, and all that He plans for us in the future. Because our brains are programmed sometimes by our parents, sometimes by the way our personality types are affected by our life experience, sometimes just by our broken sin nature and by the world and our natural bent towards sin, sometimes by bad theology that we have gotten 
over the years, our brains are programmed to believe that God's primary attitude toward us is one of condemnation, and that is not true. I just proved it to you by reading Ephesians 1. Let's do some more of it. I'll just quote these. I think these will be on the screen. Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world from condemnation through Him. John 5, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, present possession, eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Romans 8, verses 1 and 2, There is therefore now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. God sent Christ into the world to rescue us from sin and judgment and condemnation. That is not the behavior of a God who is bent on condemning us and destroying us. That is the behavior of a God whose primary attitude toward us is one of great blessing. Is that how you pray? Is that the God you're talking to when you pray? He loves you. He is bent toward blessing for us. I have a a new friend, uh, her name is Dr. Connie Champion. She, is, uh, she has a PhD in sociolinguistics. She works with Unfolding Word, and I follow her on Facebook. And Connie grew up in apparently a highly legalistic, highly judgmental uh, church background. And among other things that she said in one of her recent posts, she said this, if you are the wounded, the one who was judged and found wanting, silence the voices in your head that say you are not enough. Don't let the bitterness and wounds continue to impact your relationships and joy. It makes their judging and their self-righteousness still have control in your heart. Their opinion of you doesn't matter. It's between them and God. Be a living example of pouring out grace on the undeserving. Model for them what they should have been. Maybe God will use it to draw them to repentance. Maybe they will finally see their own weakness and sin in the light of the grace and gospel they see lived out in you. You see, guys, the way God treated David and the way he treats us in Christ is not the behavior of a God who wants nothing but to condemn you and judge you and tie you all up inside with self-doubt and self-criticism. That's not who he is. And we need to recite it to ourselves, who he is, like Ephesians 1, like what we see there in this prayer with David. 
so that we'll remember because our brains are often programmed to condemn ourselves. And I found another story this week that um, it's, it's just a, a, another episode in the continuing saga of science catching up with scripture. Sean Aker, a psychologist, teaches at Harvard. This was a one-week study. They did this study for one week, and then they tracked the results for months and months and months. People were asked to take five minutes a day at the same time every day and write down three things they were thankful for. They didn't have to be big things, but they had to be concrete and specific. When I'm sitting down at the table at night, a lot of times I'm just thanking God for the air conditioner in the window. I'm thanking God for the hot food. I'm thanking God for a roof over our heads and cars to drive. Simple things. They said, so things like, I'm thankful for the delicious takeout, Thai takeout dinner I had last night. I'm thankful my daughter gave me a hug. I'm thankful my boss complimented my work. And I always wonder in these studies if they tell them who they're thanking. Like, who are you thanking? Who else? So thank for three specific things at the same time every day. At the end of one month, the researchers followed up and found that those who practiced gratitude, including those who stopped the exercise after one week, were happier and less depressed. Remarkably, after three months, the participants who'd been part of the one-week experiment were still more joyful and content. Incredibly, after the six-month mark, they were still happier, less anxious, and less depressed. The researchers hypothesized that the simple practice of writing down three thanksgivings a day over the course of a week primed their minds to search for the good in their lives. When I talked in the introduction about how doing this will change the way that we live and expand us spiritually, this is what I'm talking about. When we learn to live like this, when we learn to remember and humble ourselves and reflect on God's character and recite his plan, his good plans for us in Jesus Christ to him day after day after day after day, it makes you a more expansive spiritual person. You relax. You rejoice. You begin to walk in confidence before the Lord and not second-guessing yourself all the time and not feeling like you have to condemn whatever else everybody else is doing because you're living in blessing, just like David was when he prayed this prayer. So what David has done is he has revealed to us one of the secrets of happiness, and it's taken science all these years to figure this out. That's praying the kind of prayer God answers. It resonates with humility. It recognizes God's character. It recites God's plan. So, I do that from time to time. I remind God, it's like, you know, God, the day that I walked in and I saw my daughter with her hand in that box of Cheerios, that was the day that I knew you had rescued her from anorexia. She was headed off to college. There was nothing else we could do. We knew the battle wasn't over. We had done everything we knew how to do. She was going to be out of our house, and we weren't going to know what was happening. And we were frightened, frankly. And then I saw her hand in that box of Cheerios. We had no idea that God had met her in power and delivered her that summer. She didn't tell us until many, many months later. 
And then about 20 years ago, when I realized I had said about all I could say to persuade my friend that I've known for 40 years to start to believe in Jesus, I started praying a different prayer. I, started, I added one. And I said, Lord, please send my friend faithful witnesses, people he will believe, whose, whose story he knows well and he can't deny, to testify to your power and love. So the man who prayed over dinner that night was a biker. Now, guys, I ride a motorcycle, but I'm a motorcyclist. I'm not a biker. This guy was a biker. He'd been a biker on a Harley for his whole life, practically, and an alcoholic leaving a trail of destruction behind him for 30 or 40 years. And I've, I know this for sure because he has testified it openly testified about it openly on Facebook, and he keeps giving God this uh, glory and talking about God's amazing grace. So I, I said, we got to this place where we were sitting down to dinner, and I looked over and I said, Mark, why don't you pray? And I wasn't really sure if his transformation, his deliverance from alcohol was a, was a real gospel thing. So I just like, just threw it up there and said, Lord, I'm going to let this guy pray. And so I asked Mark to pray. And he prayed the most real, gospel-oriented prayer I had ever heard anybody give at a dinner table. And I'd been praying for that for over 20 years. Now that's what I call an answer to prayer. Has my friend believed yet? Nope. But when I see answers like that, I keep praying. And I bet you will too. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, so much for your servant David and for all that you did. In and through him but most importantly for your son, Jesus Christ, the greater son of David, who was before David and came after David, who is the King of kings and the Lord of glory, who laid down his glory and came and lived a perfect human life and sacrificed himself for us so that we too could be heirs of the throne of David. Thank you for loving us and blessing us this way. Help us, Father, to learn and to remember to pray this way. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at fccsobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.